This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Evan Havens and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. So if you need a Bible this evening, if you didn't bring your Bible with you, when I preach, I use a lot of scriptures because my thought is, what better way to teach you than the actual Word of God? So if you need a Bible, please lift up your hands and our ushers will bring one to you. If there's anybody here that wants to look on the Word of God and didn't bring yours with you. Also, if we have any first-time visitors, you are our VIP guest this evening. So if you don't mind, if you're a first-time guest, if you'll just slip up your hand, and our ushers are going to bring a little card to you. If you bring that card to the information center right out these doors after service, we have a small gift for you. Without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and get started. The message that I feel like the Lord put on my heart this evening is a message about drawing close to Him. It's a message about the heartbeat of God. Why did God create us? Why does he do the things that he does? What is the thing that drives him? And I believe through the scriptures tonight, we're going to see exactly what that is. So when I say these words, the presence of God, I bet everybody in this room has a different thought when I say that, the presence of God. Some people may think of this weird aura that you have seen on TV. Maybe some of you think of a a strange cloud descending on people's heads. Some of you may think about being in heaven, and that's the presence of God. And all of us have a different view on what the presence of God is. But if I'm in Roxanne's presence, all that means is that I'm in the room with her. I can see her, And if she were to talk, I could hear her. And that makes me in her presence. And so is the presence of God any different than the place where we can see God or the place where we can hear God? I'm going to take you through several scriptures tonight, but before we do that, I want to pray one more time. Lord God, I pray that your word would be spoken out of my mouth tonight, that you would help me to be obedient to the Holy Spirit giving this word inside of me. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would guide me, direct me, and that you would help me to be a vessel that you could use tonight to show your people how much you love them and how much you desire a close and intimate relationship with them. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you'll turn to James chapter 4. In the Bible, there is this great invitation And this invitation is an invitation from God to us. And in James chapter 4 and verse 8, the invitation says, Come close to God, and God will come close to you. You see, the Lord started out by drawing us in. He created us. He set up the world in, in such a way that we would walk with Him and be with Him and spend time with Him. He made the initial move towards us, and now he says, if you draw close to me, I'll draw close to you. And I get the picture like the prodigal son. You see, the prodigal son, the father loved the prodigal son. And the prodigal son left his father's household, and he took his inheritance with him, and he spent it foolishly. And he did things he shouldn't have done, and he was in places he shouldn't have been in, and he was with people that he shouldn't have been with. But through it all, whenever he had wasted his life away 
and he was eating pig's food out of the sty. He said, wait a second, my, my father's servants eat better than this. Why am I eating this pig's food? I know I'm not worthy to be a son of God anymore, but at least I could go back and, and ask my father if I could be his slave. And so it says that he started back towards his father's house. And then the most amazing thing to me, the heart of the father. Because when the father sees his son, he says he sees him a ways off. It's, he's far away still, but he sees him coming closer. And it says his father ran to him. He wasn't angry at the way that his son had wasted his life away. He didn't shame his son. He didn't guilt his son. His heart was to be with his son. His heart was to be closer to his son. He didn't force his son to be with him. He didn't say, no, you can't go and take your inheritance. You can't go and live in the city. You can't do those things. He said that he could go. But when his son started to draw closer, the father ran towards him. And that's the heart of God. See, in the Bible, from the front cover all the way to the back cover is the greatest love story ever told. There are 1,189 chapters in the Bible from front to back. In the first chapter, God creates the entire world. He creates the stars, the sun, the moon. He creates the plants and the animals. He creates the, the dry land. He creates the sea and everything in it. And in only chapter 3, humans and mankind messed up God's plan. You see, God's plan was for us to walk with him closely. And the Bible says that, that Adam and Eve walked in the garden with God. And I kind of get this picture when I take my daughter to the park or when I take her on a walk. And she holds up her hand really high like this and I have to hold mine down. And we grab hands and we walk together. And as we're walking together, we get to talk to each other. We get to spend time with each other. We're in each other's presence. That's the way that God set the world up. He wanted us to walk closely with him, to tell him about our struggles and to tell him about our fears and the things that hold us back and to tell us about the things that bring us joy. He set it up so that he would be our friend. But in chapter 3 of the Bible, out of 1,189 chapters, we were tempted by the devil. Adam and Eve were tempted by Satan, and they chose to sin. They chose to do something that the Lord directly told them not to do. And we serve a God that's so holy. He's so pure. He's so good that he can't even have fellowship with sin. He can't fellowship with mistakes. Because there's no mistake in him and he makes no mistakes. There's only truth in him. There's only goodness in him. And so when Adam and Eve chose to sin... They brought that relationship into a different place. And we were banished from the garden. We were banished from that presence of God. And then throughout the Bible, God spoke to specific people and he spent time with specific people. We hear of people like Enoch and Noah who walked closely with God. And we read about people like Abraham and Moses who were friends of God and King David who was after God's own heart. But for the most part, God spoke to very few people, and then those people that heard the voice of God spoke to the masses. And a lot of the people in the time didn't serve God at all. They, they went their own way. They served themselves and their own pleasures. But God wanted that relationship back that he designed from the beginning. And so he sent Jesus to the earth. 
Now, when Jesus was born of a virgin, and you've heard this story, he lived his life the entire time he was on this planet completely void of sin. He made no mistakes. He did no wrong. He lived an absolutely perfect life. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, or the payment of sin is death. So because you and me, we've all sinned. We've all messed up. We've all broken that relationship that God set up, but Jesus didn't. And so when he died on the cross with his arms stretched out, he took on our sin. Every sin that had been committed before that point, every sin that I've committed, every sin that you've committed, every sin that will be committed in the future was paid for by the death of Jesus Christ. You see, because he was perfect, because he made no mistakes, he was able to bear our mistakes. And the Bible says that God had to turn away from him when he became sin. God, his father, had to turn away because God can have no fellowship with sin. That's why Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because Jesus became our sin. But that wasn't the end because he rose from the dead and he appeared to many people after he came back to life. And at the moment that he died on the cross, at the moment of his death, the curtain that had separated mankind from the presence of God was torn in two from top to bottom. And Jesus, by his sacrifice, restored our relationship with God. Not only that, but when he left and when he ascended into heaven, he said, it's good that I go away. And he was telling this to his disciples, the people who he'd spent three years with, or more than that, on the earth walking with them, and they saw his miracles. He told them, it's good that I go away. Because when I go away, I'm going to send the helper. And the helper is the Holy Spirit. You see, God walked on the earth with Adam and Eve. And now, the Holy Spirit walks on the earth. Not only does he walk on the earth, but if you invite him, the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us. We don't get to just live with God. We get God living on the inside of us. So you see from the front all the way through the New Testament, the heart of God, that he created us to have an intimate relationship with him. He created us for us to be man and God and for us to have this deep and intimate connection with each other. And even all the way in the very last book of the Bible, in Revelation, turn to Revelation chapter 3. And all the way up to the end, here is the cry of God's heart. Revelation chapter 3 verse 20. It says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. These are the words of Jesus. And he said, I'm already pursuing you. I'm standing at the door to your heart and I'm knocking. And all you have to do is open the door to your heart, let me in, and we'll eat a meal together as friends. We'll sit across the table and talk to each other. And you can share with me your struggles. And I'll share with you the words of my Father. Can you see the heart of God? He wants a close relationship with you. What I want to do tonight through the Word of God is look at different characters in the Bible. Look at different people that had a strong relationship with God. And I want to contrast those people with others who didn't have a strong relationship with God. I think for each and every one of us, we would say, I, I really want a strong relationship with Father God. I think that some of us don't know how to get there. 
Some of us don't know the steps that we have to take. And so that's my heart tonight is to show you through the word of God how to have a close relationship with Jesus. So the first I want to look at is the Israelites versus Moses. The Israelites are God's chosen people. But because of different circumstances, they ended up in Egypt and they ended up as slaves. The Israelites were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. You can imagine the generations that died never even knowing freedom. Moses was also an Israelite, but he was saved because when he was a baby, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, attempted to kill all of the Hebrew boys so that they wouldn't get bigger numbers and overpower the Egyptians. But Moses was spared, and he was spared by an act of God. He was spared, and when he was, um, he, they put him in a basket and put him in the river. And the princess of Egypt, Pharaoh's daughter, saw him and took him in. So Moses grew up as the prince of Egypt. You can imagine, Egypt was the most powerful land at the time. They were wealthy. They had a whole people. All of the Israelites were their slaves doing their work for them. Moses had it so good. I mean, anything you could imagine, whatever food he wanted, he could eat it. Whatever he wanted to drink, he could have it. He didn't have to work at all. He had people to do that for him. And some of us are like, how do you get that? How do you sign up for that? I want that. But Moses loved God. And there was a drawing in his heart towards his people, not to the Egyptians. And so Moses left that life behind. And he went and he became a shepherd in the wilderness. And in the wilderness, Moses had an encounter with God. And one encounter with God will leave you hungry for more. When you have one encounter with God, it's not enough to satisfy you. And that's exactly the way that Moses lived the rest of his life. So why did God free the Israelites from captivity in Egypt? And those of us that know the story, myself included, would say, well, God freed his people so that they could go into the promised land. See, God had promised the Israelites, the land of Canaan, and it would be a land flowing with milk and honey, and he would pour out these abundant blessings over him, over them, and so that's, that's why God freed them from captivity. But I learned the other day that that's not true. So look at Exodus, second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 9, we're going to read verse 1. Go back to Pharaoh, the Lord commanded Moses. Tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go so they can worship me. Why did God set his people free? Why did God send Moses to set the captives free? Not because he wanted to send them to the promised land. Yes, that happened. Not because he wanted to bless them, though that happened as well. Not even because he just wanted them to be free, though that also happened. The reason God set his people free is because he wanted a relationship with them. He wanted them to worship him. He wanted to be close to them and have intimacy with them. So once God freed them, he attempted to speak to all the Israelites at once. He set it up and he, was, he said he was going to descend. His glorious presence would descend on the mountain and he would speak to all of Israel. But look what happens in Exodus chapter 20, just a few pages over. 
This is when the Lord descended on the mountain and it says in in verse 18 of chapter 20, when the people heard the thunder and the loud blasts of the ram's horn and when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, trembling with fear. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but don't let God speak directly to us or we will die. Don't be afraid, Moses answered them. Remember, Moses had already had an encounter with God. He knew God. He said, don't be afraid, for God has come in this way to test you, so that, you fear that, so that your fear of him will keep you from sinning. And then in verse 21, it says, as the people stood in the distance, Moses approached the dark cloud where God was. So, bring it back to our lives. Are you one that will draw near to God? Are you one that will approach God? Or are you one that has to shy away and stand at a distance? And it talks about the Israelites being afraid, but it also talks about the fear of the Lord. See, those are two completely different things. To be afraid of God means you hide from God. Whenever Adam and Eve knew that they had sinned and they heard God walking in the garden, they were afraid of him and they hid, they shrunk back. But when you have a fear of God, meaning I'd rather obey God than listen to my own desires. I'd rather obey God than obey man. I'd rather obey God no matter if it hurts, no matter if I don't understand, no matter if I don't know why he's telling me to obey, I'm going to obey God. That's a fear of God. And the fear of God causes you to draw into his presence. The fear of God causes you to draw closer to him. And that's the contrast we see between Moses and the Israelites. You see, like I said earlier, Moses left his really, really good, cushy, comfortable life to go into the wilderness. The Israelites were slaves. And yet all throughout the story, after Moses came and took them out of Egypt, the Israelites were complaining. And even at times they said things like, why did you bring us out here in the desert to die? We had it so good in Egypt. There was always food for us to eat and we always had beds to sleep in. And I've always thought that's so crazy. Like, you were slaves. You didn't have it good at all. The only person that had it good was Moses. But he never complained one time ever. That's because they were after two different things. See, Moses was after God's heart. Moses was after the presence of God. Moses wanted to be close to God. The Israelites, they wanted the promised land. They wanted the blessings of God. They wanted the things that God had to offer. Look at the contrast here. Turn to Exodus 33. It's just a few pages over from where we're at. And in Exodus 33, this is the scripture that actually got me to start studying about the presence of God because when I read it, I was so intrigued at Moses' heart. In chapter 33, verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Get going, you and the people you brought up from the land of Egypt. Go up to the land I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I told them, I'll give you this, I'll give this land to your descendants, and I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to this land that flows with milk and honey, but I will not travel among you, for you're a stubborn and rebellious people. If I did, I would surely destroy you along the way. So there's kind of a catch. 
But God says, go, you, you can have the promised land. It's everything that I promised you. It's everything that I told you I would bless you with. Go and take it. There's a land flowing with milk and honey. Not only that, but you won't even have to fight your way in. I'm going to send my angel to go before you, and he's going to wipe out all the people that are in the land already. And you're going to have your freedom, and you're going to have all the blessings that you could ask for. So go and take it, but I'm not going with you. And I wonder if, if God would tell us something like that, what our response would be. That job you've been really praying for, the job that you've wanted for all these years, and I've told you that I would give it to you, you know what, go ahead and take the job, you can have it, but I'm not going to be with you. Would you say, all right, thank you God, I, I knew you'd come through for me, appreciate it. What about, you've been, you've been praying for more money and, and more financial blessings and Here's it, here it is. Here's your financial blessings. I'm not going to be with you, but you can have all the blessings I've promised you. What would your response be? Skip down to verse 15 and we'll see what Moses said. Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among us Sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably on you, and I know you by name. You see the close relationship again that Moses had with Father God. And verse 18 says, Moses responded, and show me your glorious presence. See, I hear in Moses' response here, God, I don't really care about the promised land. I don't really care about the things that you have to offer. I don't really care about the blessings. In this moment, what I care about is knowing you and being in your presence and drawing close to you. And the Bible says that the Lord looked favorably on Moses because Moses knew the heart of God. See, I wonder what would happen if God would have asked the Israelites the same thing. You can have the promised land. I'm not going with you, but here it is. I think they would have taken it. And I think they would have lived the rest of their lives without a close, intimate relationship with God. Psalm 103, verse 7. Psalms 103, verse 7. It says, He reveals His character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. And when I first read that, I thought, wow, he revealed his character and his deeds to Moses and the people of Israel, but there's a distinction between the two. Moses got to know the character of God. The people of Israel got to know his deeds. So what's the difference? You see, Moses knew what God was going to do. God even told Moses at times what he was going to do Moses told him that's not a very good idea, God, and God actually changed his mind. And you can read about those accounts in Exodus. Moses got to talk with God face to face in the tent of meeting. Moses was so close to God, and so he got to know God's character. He got to know God's ways, whereas the children of Israel got to know God's deeds or his acts. You see, to know God's deeds is easy. Really, anybody can do that. God parted the Red Sea. He did that. I saw it. That was one of his deeds. Um, God freed us from slavery. I saw him do that. That's what he did, and I know that. You see the difference? 
Because Moses was a friend of God, because Moses feared God, he got to know the ways of God, not just his acts. So what's the key for you and for me, knowing the ways of God instead of just his acts? What's the key for drawing closer to God? John chapter 15. See, we have this song, and it came out a long time ago, but it's called, I Am a Friend of God. And I used to love that song. We sang it at church here several years ago. And I remember, you know, jumping up and down, I am a friend of God, I'm a friend of God, he calls me friend. And I, and I see the whole church singing, I am a friend of God, I'm a friend of God, he calls me friend. And as we'll see here in just a second, that's true for some people. We are all called children of God. We are all called sons or daughters of God. But we're not all called friends of God. To be a friend of God is reserved for a select few people. And here's what it takes in John chapter 15, verse 14. These are the words of Jesus. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. You're my friends if you obey my words. He says, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I've told you everything the Father has told me. And again, we see the heart of God. It's that he'd be able to share intimate secrets with us. It's that he has a close relationship with us. But it takes obedience on our part. It takes the fear of God. That I would rather obey God than anybody else on this earth I'd rather listen to the words of God than my own thoughts. I'd rather please God than please myself. I'm going to obey God when I don't understand, when it's confusing, when it's hard, when it hurts. I'm going to obey God. And those people are called friends of God. One of those people that was called a friend of God in the Bible was Abraham. And he's the next person we're going to look at. Abraham and Lot. Abraham and Lot were both called righteous men. Abraham and Lot both loved God. They were both good men. And Lot was Abraham's nephew, and they lived together in the same region. The Bible says that both of them, their possessions were so great that the land couldn't support them anymore. So Abraham said, listen, Lot, our our slaves and our servants are, are bickering and fighting against each other. The land can't support us, so let's go our separate ways. And Abraham told Lot, you can pick the land that you want first. So let's pick up. In Genesis 13, chapter, or chapter 13, verse 10. So this is after Abraham has told Lot, you can pick whichever side you want and I'll just take the other side. And in verse 10 it says, Lot took a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zor. The whole area was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord or the beautiful land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot chose for himself the whole Jordan Valley to the east of them. He went there with his flocks and servants and parted company with his uncle Abraham. So Abram settled in the land of Canaan and Lot moved his tents to a place near Sodom and settled among the cities of the plain. But the people of this area were extremely wicked and constantly sinned against God. Why did Lot take a long look at the land? I genuinely believe it's because he could see the wickedness of the people. I believe it's because he knew that the people were wicked. I believe he even had the thought, if I live in that area, they may drag me down. But instead of obeying God and instead of fleeing from wickedness and fleeing from evil, Lot made the decision, 
I want the good land. I want the good water. I want what's going to support all my possessions. I want what makes me comfortable and I want what makes me happy. Now he tried to stay away from the wickedness because we see right here it says, in verse 12 it says, Lot moved his tents to a place near Sodom. So I imagine him him setting up camp outside the city in the outskirts. And saying that, you know, this is close enough. This should be good. I can still experience the good things that are in this land, but I don't have to be part of the wickedness. The problem is, a little bit of sin always breeds bigger sin. And when you start to dabble in things that don't please the heart of God, it always grows. For anybody that's ever been addicted to a substance or to pornography or something like that, you know that the very first time you do it, it's a little thing and it, and it doesn't seem even significant at all, but over time, it grows. The same thing happened with Lot. In verse, or chapter 19 of Genesis, that's when the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And we see that at that time, Lot was living in the city of Sodom. You see, somewhere between chapter 13 and chapter 19, he decided, you know what, the plains don't really, they're not good enough for me anymore. I'm going to go ahead and move all the way into this wicked city called Sodom. Look at chapter 18 in Genesis. There's a very simple verse. Chapter 18, verse 17, it says, Should I hide my plans from Abraham? The Lord asked. You see, Abraham was a friend of God. And so God revealed his plans to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He revealed them to Abraham. And I wonder why he did that. Because Abraham didn't live in Sodom. He didn't live in Gomorrah. He didn't really live anywhere close. Lot was the one that lived in Sodom. But does it say, should I hide my plan from Lot? No. Because Abraham feared God. And Lot chose his own pleasures. So Abraham got to know the plans of God. Right before the Lord destroys the city, he sends the angel to Lot's house to get Lot out of the city. And so the angel approaches Lot and says, the city is being destroyed, we're leaving right now. So Lot got to know his acts. Lot got to know what the Lord was doing right there in the moment. But Abraham knew ahead of time. And Abraham got to intercede. And Abraham got to say, Lord, what if there's righteous people in the land? Will you still destroy it if there's 50 righteous people in the land? And the Lord said, no, if there's 50 righteous people in the land, I'll spare it. See, there was this friendship that Abraham had with God. There was this closeness as friends talking across the table from each other. I want to start to move a little bit more quickly, and I want to talk about the difference between Adam and Eve and Jesus. Adam and Eve and Jesus were both tempted of the devil. Satan approached both of them and tempted both of them, but there was completely different responses. You see, when Adam and Eve were tempted, they gave in to the sin. When, when the serpent approached Eve and said, did God really say to eat this apple or not to eat the fruit? Surely he didn't say that because he wants you to have fun, right? And the serpent deceived her and she gave in to the temptation and she sinned and it separated her relationship from God. Same thing with Adam. But Jesus... In Luke chapter 4, when Jesus was tempted of the devil, here's what happened. Then the devil took him, that's Jesus, up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. 
Now this is verse 6. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they're mine to give to anyone I please. I'll give it all to you if you will just worship me. So you see the temptation. Satan's basically saying, hey, you don't have to die on the cross. You don't have to be whipped and beaten and bruised. I'll just give this stuff to you if you'll just worship me. But look at Jesus' response. Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Do you see the contrast? Whenever Jesus was tempted, he drew into the heart of God and he quoted his father's words. Whenever Adam and Eve were tempted, they drew back and they hid from God because they were ashamed of what they had done and they were afraid of him. We see the same thing in King David. I want to begin to close with this. King David kind of contrasts himself. You see, King David was a man who walked very closely with the Lord. And in Acts 13.22, it says that David was a man after God's own heart. And it says he was truly a friend of God. David did the things that God commanded him to do. David was obedient. And if you read the Psalms, most of the Psalms were written by David. And you see the connection that they had. You see the close relationship that David had with God. But David made one choice that for a moment broke his relationship with God. And in 2 Samuel chapter 11, I'm not going to necessarily have you turn there, but it said David was, it says in a time where kings go off to war, David stayed back. In a time where kings were supposed to be somewhere else, David wasn't where he was supposed to be. He was with the wrong people. He was in the wrong place. He was there at the wrong time. He was doing the wrong things. And he looks across the roof and he sees a woman bathing and he has lust for her in his eyes. And he sends for her and he says, go get that woman. I think she's beautiful. And his servant says, king, she's a married woman. But see, that little sin, the sin of not going where he was supposed to be, sparked this huge mistake in David's life. To where he had her husband murdered to cover his sin. And he brought her into his house to cover her sin. And if you look in, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 27, it's the last verse of the chapter. It says, when the period of mourning was over, David sent for her, that's Bathsheba, and brought her to the palace and she became one of his wives. Then she gave birth to a son, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. And then the very next verse, in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David the story. And and Nathan rebuked David. And here's what we do a lot of times with Scripture. We're reading through, we're like, okay, 11, chapter 27, and 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 1, that, that happened right next to each other. That must have probably been the next day, it sounds like. That's actually not true. Because when Nathan approached David, this son that David had had already been born. The sin took place before the son was conceived. And so we see that it's at least nine months' time. And in that nine months' time, there's nothing recorded in the life of David. There's nothing there because he had no fellowship with God. Instead of fearing God, instead of obeying God, he was disobedient. He did something the Lord had commanded him not to do. And instead of turning to God, he hid from God and he drew back 
from God. And he didn't even realize that it had happened until he was approached by the prophet Nathan. But look at his heart. These are just some excerpts from Psalm chapter 51, which he wrote as soon as he had been confronted. He said, wash me clean from my guilt, purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done what's evil in your sight. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back the joy again. You've broken me, now let me rejoice. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You do not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Then you'll be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit. I didn't read the whole verse in James chapter 4 before. And if you'll turn there now, this is the last scripture I'm going to take you to. That great invitation that I talked about earlier, in James chapter 4 verse 8, it says, Come near to God and God will come near to you. There's a catch after that. So look in James 4 verse 8. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. See, just like David, when we approach God with a repentant heart, that bond is restored. When we approach God with a repentant heart saying, I've sinned, God. I'm sorry I haven't obeyed you. I repent. I'm going to obey you now. I'm going to fear you. When you humble yourself in the sight of God, that closeness starts to come back together again. And the very heartbeat of God, which is to have an intimate relationship with you, that's what you see. You see His heart for you. But just like the prodigal son, he doesn't draw close to us. He doesn't come near to us until we come near to Him. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.